This is the Psychic Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rossiter. I'm an artist, writer, and psychic medium living in Hawaii. This show is about people who are intuitive and creative, and what the process of integrating that awareness looks and feels like, and how we can access and develop that place inside of us all that is supremely psychic. today's episode, I speak with Rob Schwartz, who is the author of Your Soul's Plan and two additional books, Your Soul's Gift and Your Soul's Love. He is a brilliant uh, thinker and researcher, and I'm so grateful for his um, incredible encyclopedic knowledge and the way that he shares it. In particular, he helps us to understand why did we choose the people who are in our life Why did we plan our most difficult challenges? And how can we heal and experience more love, joy, and peace? So I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Rob Schwartz. I'm really excited to talk about your work. Yeah, pleasure to be here with you. Your books are um, really mind-blowing. I have to admit, I've started number one and halfway through. And I've been listening to a lot of your interviews and I'm enrolled in one of your monthly workshops and um, just find your message to be so profound. I'm so grateful that you're sharing it. How is it going? (laughs) It's going really well. You you know, it's funny how life works out because it took me three years to write Your Soul's Plan, the first book. And the whole time I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if anyone is going to read anything that I'm writing. Uh, and then it turned out that there was a lot of interest, a lot more than I ever expected. So it's it's very gratifying. Yeah, I think that people are waking up and you talk a lot about ascension in your conversation. So, um, you know, I'm sort of new to this field as well. Um, and although I've been spiritual, you know, for my whole life in varying degrees, I don't really understand what the idea of the ascension of humanity and earth means. So maybe you could explain that a little bit. I'll share my understanding. So my my understanding is that for a very, very long time now, we're talking millennia here, uh, the earth has essentially been a, a dark planet, meaning controlled by service to self beings, negatively intentioned beings. Uh, and these beings, as I understand it, operate largely behind the scenes. Uh, and so Mother Gaia, the consciousness of Earth, at some point uh, sent out a call for help to source, to God, whatever term you want to use. And so a plan was put in place to change this. So the entire planet and every being on the planet is ascending, which means rising in vibration. And this is a substantial increase in vibration. It's my understanding we're moving from third density Uh, into lower fourth density. And lower fourth density is essentially where our loved ones go at this time after they leave the physical body. So this is a big, big jump in frequency. Now, what that means in practical terms, as I understand it, is that collectively and individually, uh, humanity is going through what I call a purification process. Purification means that the light that is flooding the planet, and this is divine light direct from source, brings to the surface everything that is unlike itself. In other words, everything that is of a lower vibration. So the reason that happens is that all of those things have to be cleared in order for the planet and the human race to ascend. So clearing means, number one, that these lower vibrational things come into your conscious awareness. And then to complete the clearing process, what you have to do is thank whatever it is, a thought, a feeling, a a wound, a trauma, for whatever it taught you, uh, then bless it, and then set an intention to lovingly release it. That essentially is what purification or healing is all about. So again, it's happening both collectively and individually to every person on the face of the planet. Collectively, it accounts for all of these uh 
crazy stories you see in the news today, all these things that are going on around the world that actually make it look on the surface as though things are getting worse. But the way I look at this, you know, if you think of what happens when light strikes an object, it casts a shadow. And the brighter the light, the darker the shadow until at a certain point, there's so much light that it just dissolves the shadow. I think humanity right now is at the point of maximal darkness of the shadow, but that means that we're only one short step away from the light dissolving the shadow. What does one short step mean? Well, in the cosmic scheme of things, it's probably at least several years, possibly longer, but in the cosmic scheme of things, that's a very short step. So a lot is going to happen over the next few years. I think there will be a lot of revelations that come out uh, in terms of what is actually going on behind the scenes in the so-called secret government. And I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist because that, that's a rabbit hole that uh, can be endless if you go down it. But there are things going on behind the scenes that are not for the highest good of humanity. And I think those will come out and then humanity will choose to release them and do things in a very different way. Well, I really hope so. Yeah. That's actually very encouraging the way that you describe this potential outcome. But I've heard you speak a lot about free will. <laughs> and I guess as a collective, we do have free will. Um, and uh, also, uh, I, I think my biggest question for you, which um, has just plagued me and every human that I've known is about suffering for our entire lives. You know, we I remember as a child um, being maybe six and thinking, I'm so angry that I got reincarnated here. Like, I didn't choose this. This place is so hard. <laughs> I'm sick of this place. And um, I'm curious what your thoughts are about how we choose suffering. I feel like that's one of your biggest teachings in your book. Or well, why, why we would choose suffering, right? It's, it's essentially an accelerated path to evolution. I don't think that suffering is absolutely necessary in order to evolve, but it can certainly be helpful for those souls who choose that path. And there are some souls who want to accelerate their evolution. Uh, and in particular, there are a number of souls who seem to learn best by having their hearts broken open by suffering. And the fact of the matter is, if you are one of those souls, you would choose to come to earth because that is what happens here. Now, people don't like to hear that. And then they say things like, well, you just said that, you know, I'm so angry, I have to be here. I would never actually choose to be here. Well, you did choose to be here. As I understand it, nobody is forced to come into body on planet earth. But the key to understanding why you would make a choice like that is to know that your perspective when you plan your life on the other side is very different than it is when you get here in body. When you're on the other side planning a life, you know that an incarnation is actually very short, that nobody is permanently harmed by anything that happens here, and yet the wisdom becomes part of you literally for all eternity. Now, you may or may not have those three insights while you're in body, but you certainly have them when you're home on the other side. So given that, that a lifetime is very brief, no one is permanently harmed, and yet the wisdom becomes part of you for all eternity, from that perspective, it actually does make sense that people would plan to come here. Yes. And so now that I have the information I've been contemplating for the last month, you know, since you've shared this wisdom, it kind of like pulled back the veil. My mind understands it. My body, I have some evidence. Um, in fact, yeah. Um, Yes, two days ago, I had an instance where I passed out, kind of out of the blue, and this has happened to me throughout my life, but in this instance, different from all other occasions, I did not get deathly ill, I did not feel terrible, I asked for ease and grace during the process, but for one entire minute, I was absent, and my husband watched me on the floor, he said my eyes were open, my skin was pale, I was gone, but I was breathing, and in that moment, I went to another plane and I feel that my guides revealed this to me so that I could understand what you're telling me, <laughs> that it was a bit of a preview. And then I was listening to an interview where you talk about the, um, you know, when you take people through, a, I have not done a past life regression with you. I look forward to doing that. But when you take them through, you talk about meeting the council of elders 
And I suspect that what I saw was a meeting of the council of my elders and they weren't like warm and fuzzy. It wasn't an angelic scene. It was bright light, but they were different heights of beings. And they were talking, they were kind of having an emergency meeting about what should happen next. Um, and they agreed. I said, I want to go back. And so back I came. Um, but I wonder, uh, I got a little distracted by my own story there, but my question for you was really about how do we, now that we know this information, how does that change our movement forward or in your experience? How well, does it uh, yeah, if I may, I'd, I'd like to share with everybody, uh, my website is yoursoulsplan.com. And uh, if you click on sessions in the main menu, you can find out about the kind of hypnosis I practice. It actually is not past life regression. It's called between life soul regression, which contains an abbreviated past life regression within it. But the main purpose of a between life soul regression is to get you to your council of elders, which it sounds like you did during that minute or so that you were passed out. Um, as to what you do with that information, that really depends upon what your intentions are. Uh, if your intention is to maximize your spiritual growth while you're here on earth, and that probably is the intention of anybody who's tuning in to listen to this conversation, uh, then what you want to do is use this information to reframe the difficult things that have happened to you and any new challenges as they come along. Uh, one thing that that will do for you, if you come into the awareness that you are the powerful soul who planned your life, including your most difficult experiences, that will pull you out of victim consciousness. And that is a very significant developmental step. A victim consciousness, as I understand it, is literally the single lowest vibration or frequency a human being can be at. And it tends to be self-perpetuating because when you believe that you're a victim, you vibrate at the frequency of victim. When you vibrate at the frequency of victim, you're energetically stating to the universe that you're a victim. Well, whatever energetic statement you make to the universe, it always responds in exactly the same way. It always responds by saying, yes, that's right, you are. So if you state energetically to the universe that you're a victim, it says, yes, you are. And it brings you more experiences that seem on the surface to confirm to you that you are in fact a victim. The way to break out of that negative self-perpetuating cycle is simply to come into the awareness that you are the powerful soul who planned your biggest challenges. Then if you also come into some understanding of why you plan them, that's even better because then you can go about learning those underlying lessons in a more conscious manner. And the why is essentially the focus of all three of my books it's the focus of a between life soul regression and the conversation a client has with their council of elders. Uh, it's the focus of all my online workshops. That's essentially my pre-birth mission uh, and the focus of everything I do here. The why being, why am I here? Each individual yeah. finding their plan so that they can be in alignment with it. Right, and, and just briefly there, what I found in my research for the books there are five main reasons why we plan big challenges for ourselves before we're born. Uh, we could probably spend an hour on any of the five, but just to list them quickly, it's balancing and releasing karma, healing, service to others, experiencing contrast, and correcting false feelings or false beliefs about oneself. Those are the main reasons why we plan big challenges before we're born. Mm -hmm. It's really, amazing the information that you share and you share it so directly um and you've done a really great job of helping us to understand through other people's examples like when i first started your book i wasn't sure about the idea of reading other people's stories but it immediately resonated and i think that was very wise to choose other human stories of great difficulty or variety you chose you chose to choose a variety of experiences to help us connect with, oh, I see myself in that story. Oh, I understand, because we're very self-centered sometimes. Well, I appreciate you saying that. That was exactly what the intention was. So I'm glad that I fulfilled it. It worked for sure. Yeah, and I'm curious about your own life and how um, your, um, your process of expansion, and I listened to you speak about Liesl, your wife and her, process of overcoming great difficulty. 
um, and raising your vibration, if you can share with us um, any experience that you think might be inspiring. Well, both my wife and I uh, play on some very significant challenges for this lifetime. Uh, I grew up in an emotionally abusive household. Uh, there was a lot of abuse from my mother. Uh, I think that it probably helped me to cultivate great compassion and kindness and empathy. Uh, having said that, I would like not to have to go through an experience like that ever again. Liesl, as you know, uh, she had quite severe OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, essentially germophobia. And uh, at a number of times in her life has been suicidal. It was so bad. Uh, this is years ago. Uh, and through the work of Eckhart Tolle and a very skilled OCD therapist, uh, she went through a process known as, uh, I believe it's called response. I'm forgetting the exact term now, exposure and response prevention, I believe. So you expose yourself to germs or whatever triggers the OCD. And then over time, you learn to control the response. The response just diminishes over time. So she's uh, largely cured of the OCD. Now it pops up every now and then, but it doesn't affect our lives nearly as much as it used to. Uh, and she will tell you she's quite grateful for having had that experience. She really feels like it made her the person she is today. And in my case, you know, had I not experienced what I experienced as a child, I don't think I would have had the motivation to do the work that I do now. Uh, some of it was motivated by a desire to make sense of what appeared for many years to be a senseless experience. And I feel like I've done that now. And that really propelled the work forward in the world. Yeah, that's so profound. And I've also heard you say that often maybe our angels or guides are with us during these difficult experiences. You didn't say that, but that's my perception. But you said if if our frequency, our personal frequency, such as the victim identity, is at a lower point, we may not be able to hear those that are trying to help us from the other side or that are spiritual beings to support us. Does that correct? That, that, that is correct. Uh, you know, they're at a certain vibration. Every person is at a certain vibration. Their vibration in general is much higher than the vibration of somebody who's in a physical body. So if you're going to hear them, what you need to do is raise your vibration and they will lower theirs. They can lower it to a certain extent and meet you halfway, but they, they really can't lower it to your vibration. So you have to raise yours. And this makes things particularly challenging when somebody is in the middle of a difficulty, because when you're in the middle of a challenge, that's when you go into the so-called negative emotions like anger or shame or blame or guilt. Any negative emotion like that is going to lower your vibration and make it harder to hear your guidance. And this, I think, is why meditation is so very important, because to the extent that you can quiet your mind, that makes it a lot easier to hear them. You know, the thoughts of the egoic mind, which is what most people are hearing just about all the time, that's like a static between the dimensions, and it screens out a lot of the guidance. But if you can get your mind quiet, even for very short periods of time, even just a few seconds in meditation, that gives them an opening. And they're very skilled at taking advantage of any opening, even if it's just a few seconds long. Yes. I spend a lot of time clearing my energy from dark influences because I became aware that I'm so empathic that a lot of stuff comes in. Um, and so I needed to learn how to have stronger boundaries and make conscious choices about what kind of energy I allow to channel through me. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Or what have you noticed from all of the wonderful channelers you work with? Well, most of my understanding of uh, empaths come from my wife. Liesl is an empath as well. And she's described to me, for example, that she'll go to the grocery store and when she turns a corner, there, you know, there's somebody coming the other direction. And all of a sudden, she's just hit with their energy. And she feels everything that, that person is feeling in that moment. And very often, that person is in some kind of distress. They're sad, or they're angry, or they're upset about something. And then she feels everything that they feel. Well, imagine that happening a dozen times, two dozen times during every trip to the grocery store, every trip anywhere in public that becomes very draining and difficult to deal with. So what she has done 
we have a, a home that's way out in the countryside in a low population area. And it's surrounded by uh, trees on all sides. And she feels that that kind of environment is very nurturing to her. I, I like it just because I like looking at the nature, but for her, it's a profound energetic experience and one that gives her peace uh, as long as she's in that environment. That seems to have made quite a difference in her life. Yeah, I guess I've done the same. I came from Brooklyn, New York City three years ago, <laughs> found my way to the middle of the ocean. And every time I come back to Hawaii, I feel I can breathe again. <laughs> just need some extra nature around. But she shared in the course that I participated or the conversation with you, she shared also that she feels like a sponge and that she fills herself with love and light um, to kind of fill the sponge first so that there's actually no room for other people's energy to start coming in. Her beings of life shared that advice with her. And so I've been practicing that. And that does make a lot of sense to- yeah, Who's I, think that? I think essentially what she's doing is opening up her crown chakra, which is at the, the crown at the top of the head. And then she's just allowing a lot of light to come into her physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual bodies. And as you said, that will fill them up so that other energies don't come in. Yeah. Sort of like immersing yourself in a saltwater bath. There's no room right. for anything else. Right. And so um, she channels the beings of light and you work with so many people in your book and also in your first experience of working with a psychic, I believe you were given the connection to your guides that helped share your plan. Um, can you share about that? Yeah, that, that session, which was my first session ever with a medium, that was back in the year 2003. Uh, the, the reason I went, it was actually a very mundane issue. I was having a career crisis, an existential crisis about my life. Uh, I didn't like the corporate work that I was doing. I knew that I was supposed to be doing something else, but I didn't know what it was. And so I had tried career counseling and different things like that. It didn't really help at all. And so finally, almost in desperation, I went to see a medium. I wasn't even sure if I believed in mediumship at that time. Uh, the first thing she said to me was, your spirit guides are here. I said, what is a spirit guide? I didn't even know what that meant. So she explained it. And then she said, the guides would like to speak directly to you. And she started to channel them. And the first thing they said was, you planned your life, including your biggest challenges before you were born. And of course, I said, well, why in the world would I have done that? And then they launched into this very lengthy and detailed monologue in which they answered that question. They explained why I had planned all my biggest challenges. And what was really compelling about this was that they knew what all of my challenges had been without me telling them anything about myself, nor had I told the medium anything prior to the session. So the fact that they knew everything about me, uh, that gave them complete credibility in my mind. And then I came out of that session with my mind just blown wide open and for days and weeks afterwards, I kept thinking about this. And it, what it did for me really was that it created quite a deep healing because it allowed me for the first time to see deeper meaning in challenges that previously had appeared to be meaningless. And then I thought, well, if this perspective on pre-birth planning can create healing in me, then surely it can create healing for others. And it was at that point that I started to think about writing a book on the subject uh, to make a long story short, a couple of months later, I left the corporate world, started work on the first book, and three years later, Your Soul's Plan came out. That's great. Yeah, it seems that you have an encyclopedic knowledge of a lot of information, and it, did it start kind of at that point that you're just opened up to receive so much? You seem like a scientific researcher of the mystical experience in some ways. I think that that's a good description. It's my understanding, actually, that that is the specialty of my particular soul group. We are uh, researchers in one way or another, and we work very well with large amounts of knowledge. So I would like to think that that's what I've done with the three books. Um, I should explain here so people understand the way that I research people's pre-birth plans for the books in the first two books, Your Soul's Plan and Your Soul's Gift, it's all sessions with mediums and channels. And we asked Spirit, did this person plan this challenge, whatever it might be, before they were born, and if so, why? 
And then I present all the information that came through. Now in the new book that came out last year, Your Soul's Love, which is about challenges in romantic relationships, that book is a combination of sessions with mediums and channels and the between lives soul regressions that I do. In the between lives regressions, the clients talk to their council of elders and they get the information directly. They're not working through a medium anymore. And in the first book, you interview the client or the subject and have a session with a medium separately. And the two sort of sources of information would kind of be combined and reflect off each other, similar to your own experience. So yeah, very much so. And, um, you know, we I didn't tell the mediums or the channels anything about the client, uh, except for one particular channel who she requested the full name and birth date of the person we were talking with because she needed that information to access their Akashic record, which is the complete non-physical record of every word, thought, and action relevant to the earth plane in regard to that person. But beyond name and birth date, I didn't tell her anything, and the others didn't know anything at all. And a lot of the information that they came up with in their channelings or their mediumship uh, was spot on, even though they had no way of knowing that. And so can you explain the Akashic record a little bit more? Um, for example, is it related to karma? A lot of these words are new to me, and I think I know what they mean, but I feel you have some insight. The, the Akashic record is, so Akash is, uh, it's a substance, but it's a non-physical substance. In other words, it's a substance at a very high vibration. And it, it's sort of, um, I guess you could call it uh, the, the substance of memory. It's like a big library. And the people who have gone to the Akashic records report uh, that it actually looks to them like a very, very big library. So there are many, many Akashic record readers around the world. And when they have a client, they'll go uh, within and journey to the Akashic record. There are Akashic record keepers who will greet them. They'll say, I'm here on behalf of so-and-so, and we would like to look at this person's record. And there would, the person will come back with what looks like an actual book. And you can open it. And it has the complete history of that soul's existence, everything that they have ever experienced. In multiple and lifetimes, right? Not just this one. Multiple physical lifetimes, multiple non-physical lifetimes, uh, things between lifetimes, everything that they have ever experienced. Wow. And the record, when we talk about it looking like a book, it, it doesn't read like a book, it's, it's immersive. So the Akashic record reader can immerse themselves in scenes that the person in question has experienced. And not only do they see everything that the person saw, but they will feel what that person felt and possibly also what other people in the scene were feeling at the time. So it's, it's a fabulous source of information. And if you go into the Akashic record with a particular intention, a certain question, then you will just go automatically to that part of the record that contains the answer to the question. Uh, it, it's really just an incredible resource and it's there for humanity to take advantage of. That's amazing. And so this brings me to the idea of judgment and a sort of black and white experience that exists in our human experience now. And you've talked a little bit about this. So the human mind might look at the Akashic record story of say an individual and say, oh, that's when they did a bad thing or that's when they did a good thing. Um, and how would you respond to that? Or how do the guides respond? How could we well, look when, at that differently? Uh, so your, your soul and other beings like the guides, the angels, the masters, they have no judgment of anything. Uh, it doesn't mean they don't have discernment. It means that they don't judge whatever it is that they're thinking about or examining. Uh, judgment is a very human kind of thing. We live in a world of duality, you know, up, down, light, dark, left, right, good and bad. Uh, and the ego is very much judgment based. So for those who, whose minds judge, it's not something to feel shame or guilt about or embarrassment about. This is where the human mind is at its current state of evolution. And we wanted to have that experience or we wouldn't have chosen to be here at this point in linear time. But these advanced beings on the other side, including everybody's soul, 
they have no judgment of anything. They look at every experience as an opportunity for spiritual evolution. So good and bad pretty much go out the window. It's just viewed as an opportunity for growth. And the more that you can get yourself to look at life through that lens, rather than the lens of duality, the lens of good and bad, that, that is really very healing and very helpful. One of the main benefits of looking at life that way is that it will reduce your resistance. You know, the average person, when something unpleasant or difficult happens, they go into some measure of resistance to it, even if they're not fully aware of that. And you really want to minimize your resistance to life because when you go into resistance to anything, you're giving a big energetic no to the universe. The universe doesn't understand that you intend to say no just to the one difficult experience. All it hears is no. And it takes it as a global no, a no to abundance, a no to love, a no to physical health, a no to spiritual clarity, a no to every blessing you want in your life. So, you know, there's, there's that expression, when it rains, it pours. That's what that expression is referring to. Something minor goes wrong, that's the rain. Then you go into resistance to that. The resistance then causes lots of things to go wrong. And that's when it starts to pour. Interesting. And so I've heard the expression, especially in um, like Alcoholic Anonymous, like you, you hit bottom, that sometimes as a soul, we will choose a very difficult situation. And you've referred to this too, like we might choose an abusive situation as a child so that we really have to, we, we lose everything on the human plane and then we look within. Yeah, a lot of pre-birth plans are set up so that it's not planned necessarily as a certainty, but that there's a very high likelihood that at some point the person will hit bottom. Uh, and that's valuable from a viewpoint of spiritual evolution, because when people really hit rock bottom, that's when they surrender. And when you fully surrender to your guidance, when you fully surrender to life, meaning you're no longer in resistance at all, that opens the door for your guides to step in, your guardian angels, the masters who work with you, your council of elders. And then you can really start to receive your guidance and turn things around in the way that you would like. Yeah. Oh, this is very exciting. Can you tell me more about the angels and then the guides and then the council of elders? I know that you have gained so much insight and you have personal experience. Um, I would love to know more specifics about each of them. Well, most of my knowledge uh, out of those beings is in regard to the council of elders. Everybody has their own council. Uh, the council consists of the very wise, loving, and highly evolved beings who oversee your personal spiritual evolution. So they know literally everything about you. And when people get to their council of elders in a between-life soul regression, either in a group, in a workshop, or a private session, they can ask literally any question they have about their life. And if it's for their highest good to know the answer, the council will answer. Now, occasionally, somebody asks a question that it's not for their highest good to know the answer, then the council will, of course, choose not to answer. Uh, but that doesn't happen too often. And after a between-life soul regression is over, a lot of people will say something like, the council answered every question I asked. I don't have any more questions about my life. That's how comprehensive that conversation can be. And it really is life-changing for many people because a lot of people go into their council meeting thinking that their life challenges are just meaningless suffering. They don't really have any idea that there's a deeper meaning. They might not even believe that there's a deeper meaning. But then after talking to the council, the light bulb goes on, they start to see what the plan is all about. And when that session is over, their, their life is much richer, much deeper with meaning than it was before. Now, guides and angels, there are different categories or classes or types of angels, Elohim, Seraphim, Archangels, and a number of others that I'm not really familiar with. Uh, the person who wrote some good books on that subject is Doreen Virtue. Uh, and she's, you might know, gone in a completely different direction now, but her older books are quite good on that subject. Guides are highly evolved beings, for the most part. 
who do just that. They guide us in daily life. So they know what's going on with you because they can sense your vibration. And if you go into distress about something, they are aware of that immediately. They're by your side immediately. They, with your permission, with your request, they can intervene uh, and often do in order to help you turn things around in the way that you would like. Sometimes the guide is a loved one who crossed over like a parent or a grandparent. Uh, and then when they get to the other side, uh, they're no longer playing the role of parent or grandparent. Now they're one of your spirit guides. Interesting. And so how do you know that these beings are there for the highest and greatest good, that they're beings of love and light? Do any of your um, people that you've studied or in your own experience, have you ever had a situation where a guide needed to be fired or, <laughs> or if something was determined, it's like, oh, that, that person is not under, um, not receiving guidance from, I know there's a lot of beings out there that we can connect with. And so I purposefully choose to ask for only love and light. But if I were not to choose that, or if I didn't know that that were something to choose, or I wasn't even conscious of who was guiding me, um, is there that possibility that you might be being guided by something that's more nefarious? I, I have not seen a single incident of that in any of the sessions I did with mediums or channels or any of the hypnosis sessions I've done, uh, either for the books or just for private clients. Um, now, I have heard of things like that happening with other people from time to time. There are what you might call tricksters on the lower astral levels. These are beings who are no longer in a body on planet Earth, but they haven't moved fully into the light. They're really at a pretty low vibration, considering that they're non-physical beings. Uh, often they had addictions at the time that they died, and they still feel the craving for alcohol or the drug or whatever it might be. And they'll find somebody who's still in a body who has that addiction and has an opening in their auric field, and they'll latch onto that as a way of feeding the addiction. Some of these so-called tricksters uh, if you don't say the uh, certain prayer of protection before you start the session, that can leave an opening for them to come in. But we always pray at the beginning of these channeling sessions for the highest good of all beings, that only those beings who are operating completely in love and light may contact or influence us in any way. And if you read their words in any of the three books, I don't think there's any question at all that these are very highly evolved, very loving and very wise beings. So in a sense, that is your intention before you start a session. And as we learn to have intention in this life, we, as part of our free will, if we choose to be aligned with love and light, then so it is. Right. In, intention is uh, just a, a basic spiritual concept. Intention sets the direction in which energy is flowing. And then your attention on that original intention keeps the energy flowing in that direction. So we always start these sessions again by asking for the highest good for all beings. And we keep our attention focused on that intention and that serves as protection for everybody who's involved. And on the sort of Uber level, where do you think the, the, the beings of light or the um, council of elders or our souls ultimately um, originate like other than we are all one <laughs> it is all love and consciousness is there some location that that they inhabit outside of planet earth well my my understanding is that that location space is actually an illusion uh, but I, I'll tell you, I have a friend who channels uh, God or source, whatever term you want to use. And years ago, uh, I asked her to ask source, please explain to me who are the members of these council of elders? What can you tell me about them? And the response that, that she channeled from God was essentially uh, any being who is on any council of elders for a human on the earth plane is so highly evolved, so advanced that it is literally beyond your comprehension. Wow. Yeah. When I had this experience of passing out the other day, um, coming back, so going from 
consciousness on this plane to the other place I went was a switch, was like off, on. There was no transition. And on the other place, I had zero memory of this plane. And on this plane, it was a transition to come back. And in that transition coming back, there was a frequency shift of, um, I heard a voice, which was my husband calling me, but he has a deep voice, but I heard it at a very, very high frequency. So I didn't recognize it. It was like a high voice. And as I came back in, it slowly changed an octave until it got deeper. And I wonder if that's consistent with any of your experiences or um, people that you've talked to, the sort of, I don't know, how do we re-inhabit our body? Well, you know what that, that makes me think of? Uh, in my second and third books, one of the channel consciousnesses that I do many of the sessions with uh, is an ascended master who uses the name Aaron. Uh, and he uses that name because it's from uh, an incarnation he had during the time of Jesus. He was incarnate as a shepherd named Aaron. He traveled around with Jesus during his ministry. So I, I asked him once, um, what is it like for a human to die and leave the physical body? And his response was very interesting. He said, imagine that while you're in your physical body, you are submersed underwater for a very long time period, as long as you can possibly hold your breath. And then suddenly you rise to the surface, you spring up above the water, and you can breathe again. And that gasp of air coming into your lungs and you, you feel alive and free again. He said, that's what it's like when you leave the physical body, you feel that you can breathe again. Hmm. It reminds me of the Matrix, the movie coming out of the sort of unplugging in the tank and realizing. And I've had that experience many times in my life where someone shares information or a spiritual experience opens you and then you're just not the same and you struggle in the coming weeks and months to integrate this high vibration awareness with your daily life or your previous minds. And I guess that's what's happened to me in the last few days that I'm like, I think I met my council of elders or some great beings, but here I am on this plane. And there's this comparison that you make between the high vibration aspiration and knowledge to the daily life. And yet I feel like one of the biggest things I've learned in recent years is that this daily life is such a great gift. As you mentioned, like we've all been chosen to be here and we all have you know, work to do here. Um, so there's, I think we often struggle as humans with that awareness. Well, what might be helpful there, and I think that this will really interest the people who hear this conversation, uh, we were talking earlier about ascension. It's my understanding that in order to be in a body on planet Earth during the time of planetary ascension, you did have to be chosen to be here. And in fact, uh, there were three times as many souls who wanted to incarnate as available bodies. So if you're here in a body, you had to make a one in three cut. And the way that choice was made, as I understand it, is that you had to have something in particular to offer the ascension process. So, you know, the, the world is filled with people who feel small or weak or helpless or powerless. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you're here, you made a one in three cut and you were chosen because you have something in particular to offer the ascension process. Yes. Yes. And you were saying too, in another interview, there's many ways to make your offering. Like we might think, well, you wrote a book that's very important and it is very transformational, but also just um, being in a certain frequency could be quite beneficial, your own well, meditation it, process. Well, actually, regardless of what somebody's mission might be and, and whether or not the mission entails taking physical action, like writing a book, regardless of that, your frequency is your primary form of service to the world. This is true for literally every person on the face of the planet. Your vibration is far more important, powerful, and impactful than any action you can ever take with your physical body. So Eckhart Tolle refers to certain people as frequency holders. Those are people who don't have a mission to take any particular kind of action on the physical plane. 
they're just here to hold a certain frequency. And it might be a frequency of peace, it might be a frequency of joy, or anything along those lines. That is a profound mission in and of its own right. We tend to overlook people like that, especially in Western society, because we're so conditioned to believe that action is good, you must take action and so forth. Uh, and certainly it can be very helpful to take action on the physical plane, but it's not nearly as important as the frequency you hold. Amazing. Yes, I think we tend to be very ego-oriented and um, doers and, and evaluating and creating yeah. uh, separation constantly, um, which has a power to it, but I'm trying to shift that and and you know, like fully inhabit one's being, but it's such a challenge to know how to love and how to be compassionate towards others when it doesn't look like the typical polemical story we were told as children, good and bad, um, or Mother Teresa or, you know, Jesus. I feel like um, I'm, I'm really in a phase of learning about how one fully inhabits their power. Um, and sometimes that means not engaging with others, but then as you say, not having aversion to it because that creates a big no. Um, and you've given me a little advice about this in the past, but perhaps you could talk more about how one makes choices to embody the highest and greatest good. And that might involve um, saying no to those that aren't on maybe on the same frequency as you. Well, I think it's important to keep it simple. So the simple answer that anybody can keep in mind and that uh, is really usually pretty easy to act on, whenever you have to make any kind of decision, whether big or small, ask yourself the following question. Ask yourself, what would love with a capital L do now? And whatever the answer to that question is, that's the thing to do. If you do that consistently, you will tremendously raise your vibration. You'll create a lot of healing for yourself and you'll help other people to raise their vibration and create healing in their lives. Uh, if, you're, if you find yourself engaging with somebody in some kind of disagreement, that's almost always going to be one ego disagreeing with another ego. And at that level of interaction, it's very unusual that any kind of truly constructive healing solution is found. So if somebody else is operating from their ego and you recognize that, then rather than get triggered and go into your ego, the best thing to do is to stay in a space of neutral non-judgmental observation, if you can. Uh, and if you find that you're starting to get emotional and you think you're going to be drawn in, then, it, then it's better to walk away and maybe continue the discussion at another time. Because again, one ego arguing with another ego generally does not result in anything truly positive. And sometimes love may answer um, to not engage with that person, for example. And um, one might think, it, it reminds me of how you described you know, um, a, your soul group might meet in your pre-birth plan and you might say to someone, please play the role of my father. And they might say, well, I love you so much. I will do that, but it's going to be hard because I don't want to hurt you. But you say, I need to have this experience to learn this certain quality. Uh, so it almost reminds me in this lifetime, as we gain all this awareness of of how we might've planned things, we may then see that person as their soul and yet choose to not engage with them because we, um, we, make, we have learned a lesson. I, I don't know, it's almost like we're acting again. We're choosing to act in a compassionate way that may like, we may desire to go and give them a great big hug, but we say almost like to a child, because of your action, I am not going to engage with you. <laughs> There's this, um, there's these layers of, of acting, it seems. Yeah, that's essentially what life is. It, it's a play on a stage and all of us have written the script to the play. So what happens when you become aware of pre-birth planning, it's like you're stepping off the stage and out into the audience. And now you're able to observe all the characters on the stage playing their roles. 
So if you can do that consistently, it gives you a certain amount of detachment so that you won't be drawn in when somebody else is coming at you from their ego. Uh, and if you can keep the perspective that everybody else is an eternal soul and they're just temporarily inhabiting a physical body and temporarily playing a role that everybody scripted together before we were born, that kind of perspective really allows you not to, to engage. It's, it's tremendously helpful. And, and it will often pull the other person along with you. They'll be able to step out of that role, at least temporarily, because your energy is at such a high vibration, it pulls them in that direction. Yeah. And there seems to be a great power in sending blessings, as you say, like, um, you know, in, in your own healing process, you bless the emotion and let it go. Um, it, it seems to take a great amount of courage too to do this, to um, look at a situation where an, uh, in normal human story, you would reach out and care for a person, but in your awareness of the greater plan, you might say, in this instance, this is the line that I hold. And I know that I'll meet you again in another lifetime or on the other side, but this is my choice in the role. It seems to be often that I have to make, and when I receive guidance, often the guidance is to do that. And it takes a lot of human courage to stay in that awareness, even when it yeah. seems to draw you. And I know that you talk a lot about courage. Yeah, and uh, one of the things I found in the research I did for my books is that uh, when we're planning our lives, a, a lot of the discussion in the pre-birth planning session, when we're planning big challenges, uh, revolved around a soul level desire to cultivate and then express while embody certain qualities that are important to the soul. And I gave those qualities the name divine virtues. In the online uh, workshops we do, I lead people through a divine virtues exercise that tells them which virtues they're working on. Courage is one of the virtues. And there's, there's a quote, a famous quote, and I can't remember now who said it, but the quote is, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Meaning that regardless of which virtues you're working on in your lifetime, you will need courage to apply them when life tests you. And that's why I've thought for a long time now, courage is actually the single most important of all of the divine virtues, because without it, you can't actually work on any of the others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel drawn to ask you about Jesus, because you have worked with some channels that know a lot about that. Um, this is sort of like um, a confusion for me, I think, because of how Jesus's legacy has been or his, his name has been used in religion, but what's your experience been? Uh, my experience, and, and I've spent many, many hours talking to him through certain channels, and I feel 100% certain that this is Jesus that I'm talking to. The level of love, the level of wisdom, the level of insight is just extraordinary. Uh, and almost unlike any other being I've ever spoken with, but something that he has said many times through many different channels is that he doesn't want to be put up on a pedestal. He wants us to look at him as an older, wiser brother. And he's often quoted as saying something like, all that I have done, you will do that and more. He did say something like that during his incarnation as Jesus and has continued to say that in many channelings. Uh, and that's because that's true. You know, we're all children of God. We're all sparks of the divine. He's a, a much older, much wiser brother. But as we continue with our individual evolution, we will eventually, at some point in the, the distant future from our current perspective, we will do the same kinds of things that he's known for having done. Beautiful. And so these great beings, they can choose to incarnate at various times throughout human history, for example. They don't necessarily have a life and get reborn. They may choose to come as a, an assistance to humanity. Well, that's essentially true for everybody who's incarnating on earth, not just the ascended oh. masters. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the way I understand it, when, when a soul plans an incarnation on earth, it starts with certain basic intentions. I would like to experience this. I would like to learn that. And then it's like it's looking through uh, 
an infinitely large history book that has literally no beginning and literally no end. So metaphorically, it's flipping the pages of this infinite history book, and then it lands on a certain page and says, aha, that is the best place in linear time for me to experience what I want to experience and learn what I want to learn. I will go there. And then you talk to the other members of your soul group and say, this is where I intend to incarnate. This is when I intend to incarnate. I'm going to work on these lessons. Would you like to join me? And those who are interested in that experience will join you. Amazing. And I know that you did a workshop recently with Liesl about star seeds or star souls. Right. Can you talk a bit about that and why people might not feel they belong? Uh, Liesl channels a collective, a group consciousness that we refer to as the beings of light. It's my understanding that at a certain point in everybody's evolution, they will choose to join a group consciousness. What that means is that you have full access to all the wisdom, all the knowledge, and all the experiences of every other member of the group, yet you still retain your individuality. From our perspective, this is a paradox, but that's my understanding of what a group consciousness is. So the beings of light that she channels, they exist in a state of union or unity consciousness, not in a state of separation as we are here. In other words, they don't perceive themselves as separate from any other being. They're very wise, very loving, at a very high vibration. And what they have shared with us is that there are a large number of what they call star souls incarnate on Earth. A star soul is somebody who comes from a faraway civilization. It's usually a civilization that is much more highly advanced than humanity. So when the star soul gets here, they often feel like uh, this is a strange and barbaric place. People do all sorts of nonsensical things. We have all kinds of customs that just don't make any sense to them. There's often a, a yearning, a longing to go back home, even though they don't remember exactly where home is. And they feel very different from everybody, very out of place. They don't like it here at all. And often they don't know what their gifts are, or if they do know, they're not sure how to share them. And so the beings of light told us uh, it would be very helpful for the star souls to have a workshop just for them. And they modified the hypnotic induction for the between life soul regression. So we now call it a between life star soul regression when we use that version of it in the workshop. And it takes them to a place where they can find out where do they come from? Why did they choose to come here? What are their particular gifts? How do they best go about sharing those gifts with humanity so that it facilitates the ascension process? Uh, it really helps to make sense of what they're doing here and is very healing for them, I think. That's beautiful. And you will be offering that again soon, I assume. We will, uh, probably sometime in the fall. It isn't scheduled yet, but I think we will do it sometime in the fall. Great. And what if somebody signs up? Like, I'm not sure if I'm a star soul. <laughs> and will they find out in the course of it? Uh, you would find out. But I, I think anybody who feels drawn to that particular workshop, it's very, very likely <laughs> yes. that you are a star soul. And even if for some reason you weren't, in the regression, you would still access a lot of information about your pre-birth plan that would be very helpful to you. And I'm curious about hypnosis. Um, don't know much about it, but you are trained in it, and that's your form of, of work um, when you're working with a client. Um, what, what can you share about that? So hypnosis, there's an old saying that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, and I think that's true. In other words, what I'm doing as the hypnotist, I'm just facilitating a process in which the client or the group puts himself, herself, or themselves into a hypnotic trance. Now, what is a hypnotic trance? It's essentially a slower brain waves. So beta is the waking brain wave. That's the fastest. Then if you just close your eyes, you can get to alpha, which is a little bit slower. If you go through an extensive hypnotic induction, you can get to deep alpha or light theta, which is where a lot of this communion with spirit takes place. Uh, Einstein was aware of these different brain waves, and he said that he did his best work in light theta. And then there, there are some inductions that can actually take you to deep theta. 
monks who devote an entire lifetime to learning to meditate can get to something even slower than that, that some people call gamma. Uh, these are just different frequencies of brain waves, and the slower it gets, the more the egoic mind is turned off or tamped down, and the more that you have a direct connection with non-physical beings, and you can just talk to them directly as though they're sitting in the living room with you. That's so cool. Just listening to you describe it, I feel calm. <laughs> it's like um, all my experiences with meditation come back, and so... I think that's the goal is that you create a practice that you can call on in times of distress or when the mind, uh, similar to what you described Liesl learning with the OCD, it's like you learn tricks or practice, you, you practice to be able to call your practice to you when your mind wants to take over and you say, oh, no, we're gonna do this instead. So it's like a pointing that I think is probably the major benefit of meditation. You, you cultivate the perspective of the observer or the witness, and you learn that you are not your thoughts, you are not your feelings, rather you're the one who is experiencing the thoughts or feelings, you're the one who has them or carries them, but that it's not who you actually are. So it creates a little bit of spaciousness between you and the thought or you and the emotion, and that spaciousness uh, allows you to choose your response. Instead of reacting to what something somebody has done or something in the external environment, you recognize that it's a stimulus outside you and you choose your response because you've got enough spaciousness between you and whatever the stimulus is. Yeah. Yeah, this is such an important lesson. I'm, I feel that you are so full of wisdom and insight and I really appreciate you sharing your time with us. To My pleasure. Expand all of this. It's. It seems like I've just embarked on a new journey. <laughs> it's another level, and I'm excited to read the rest of your books and share everything that we've talked about with my audience. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was my pleasure. You ask a lot of great questions, and I'm happy to answer them. Yeah, I would love to keep talking to you. It's. It's really exciting, and I will actually. I've signed up for your monthly membership, and I recommend that. It was a wonderful conversation with you and Liesl. Um, and you guys, I just, it was fascinating because you answered a lot of people that came to your group had very specific questions and you each had a different perspective on it, but a great wealth of information that our brains previously did not have. So it's really I'm very thankful for the opportunity to get the information that will help us essentially become more liberated. Well, I, I really appreciate you saying that. that. That's what the intention is. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, the program you're talking about is called Rise to the Path, and it's all about rising to the path, activating your highest vibrational pre-birth plan, which is the plan that will bring you the most happiness, peace, love, and, and joy. Yes. And before we end, that is one thing that I wanted to ask you about. So I received this email from you this morning. Do you mind if I just quote what um, the beings of light said through Liesl as oh, we sure. close? So they say, whether you are aligned or not with the overarching evolutionary impulse of the ascension and the unique way in which it wishes to emerge and express in you, will determine whether you experience headwinds or tailwinds as you move through life. In other words, the more you are in alignment with how life wishes to use you in the unfolding of the divine plan, the more effortless life seems to become. And so as I read that right before getting on the call with you, I thought this is a very important point. Like we did talk about suffering, we talk about free will, but I think we have a desire to have ease and effortlessness, Grace. And yeah, essentially what that quote is referring to is the flow. There's a flow in the universe that is coordinated by God or source. Uh, source is planning in terms of billions of years, in terms of linear time. Uh, it's far beyond anything the human mind can understand. And so the beings of light are always encouraging me and Lisa and everybody else they talk to uh, try not to manage your life from the perspective of your human brain. It can't possibly comprehend billions of years. Just trust that source knows what trust is doing. Choose to surrender into the flow. Every morning, say to source, 
Uh, I consecrate this mind-body complex in service to light, in service to love. How may I be of service today? And then what those when those impulses come telling you how you can be of service, act on them if action is called for. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. I'm so grateful to Rob Schwartz for joining us today. You can find out more about his work at his website, which is YourSoulsPlan.com. And on his website, he has workshops, a newsletter, and um, conversations, and lots of information about Your Soul's Plan. And I hope you will check it out. Many blessings. Thank you for listening to the Psychic Artist Podcast. To learn more about me, you can go to sarahrossiter.com on Facebook at the Psychic Artist Podcast and on Instagram at srossiterstudio. Thank you for listening and many blessings.